Welcome everybody. You guys can grab a seat if you want. You could go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Man, it is so good to hear you guys talking and laughing, getting to know one another. Such a good time. That's the way the church should be. Um, it's a little hot up here, uh, Zach, just so you know. Um, that's the way the church should be. I say this every week, and I'm going to continue to say it every week until you're really annoyed with it, and then I'll say it another 20 more times. But the church is a, it's not a, yeah, it's not a place, it's not a building, it's a people. It's the people of God laughing and loving one another, rejoicing and worshiping Jesus. So if this is your first time uh, coming to church, we'll let you know you didn't come to church, you came to hang out with the church, and we're so glad to hang out with you. We love you, and if you haven't felt loved yet, then you should meet Valerie Trogget. She'll make you feel loved, okay? Or Celeste Annamilk. All right, well, welcome. Hey, uh, go ahead and open up 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to let the passage lead us. And uh, as I said earlier, this is an incredibly relevant passage, uh, as all of 1 Corinthians and all of our Bible is. And uh, man, I feel like a strange piece about teaching this. And I was literally just praying. I'm like, Lord, am I just ignorant? Like, or is this not going to go well? We'll see how this goes. But all right, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you guys can open up. I'm going to start at verse 12. We're going to read through. It's going to be a great time together. I'm reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. So if your version is a little bit different, that's why. Okay? It says this. In quotes, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power, raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members with Christ? Shall I uh, uh, then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Father, I'm so thankful for this passage. I'm so thankful for my friends who consider your word to be worthy of listening to. And I'm so thankful that God, Holy Spirit, Son, you are worthy of our worship. Worthy of glory and honor and praise. But your scripture is stepping on our toes a little bit. So I pray, Spirit, help us to have humility to listen. And God, I pray that nothing that I say would come across as arrogant, sexist, as bigotry, as hate, but God, that we would speak the truth in love. And may we all leave here, I pray, not just more sexually moral, but more in love with you, and that we trust you more. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. This is awesome. 
I love God's word. Um, so today we're talking about SEX, okay? But we're talking about sexual immorality and it's plaguing the Corinthian church. And uh, it's plaguing them because there's a culture there where it's okay to sleep with prostitutes. Prostitution was a common thing uh, in their day and age. And so they uh, felt like it was okay. And so there's some slogans or some things that are, uh, or some uh, cultural beliefs that have infiltrated the church. And a lot of people will tell you today uh, that the church is declining. And in many ways, they would be right. Why they would tell you is because the church is just irrelevant, right? We're irrelevant. We're lost with the times. We're not keeping up. We're unchanging. And so some churches, some church culture has just saw fit to let the culture do its thing and go its way. And other churches have decided, well, why don't we try to be more culturally relevant um, to speak to this culture that is running the direction it's going. And being culturally relevant is not necessarily in and of itself wrong. But how relevant is relevant enough is the question, right? If you look at um, some of the mainline churches, it's going to feel like I'm stepping on toes, but I could just quote stats if I wanted to. The Methodists, the Episcopalians, the Lutheran Church, their numbers and membership have declined dramatically. But that's strange, right? Because those three denominations are probably the most relevant when it comes to understanding morality. They have uh, changed their views on sex uh, and sexuality, on the roles of men and women, and so many more things to become more relevant, to keep up with the times, all in hopes to reach a culture. But what ended up happening is the opposite of what they thought would might happen. As they bent towards culture, they saw their numbers decline and they saw people leave. Okay, that's one side. On the other side, there's other churches, uh, you know, the non-denominational churches, which is so funny because it sounds like a denomination when you say non-denominational. Someone would be like, hey, so you guys non-denominational? And I always say, well, what do you mean by that? <clears throat> okay, um, I don't have skinny black jeans with tears in them and, you know, rock music and, I don't know, real wine when we do communion. I don't know what they do. Okay, but they have sought to be relevant in different ways, right? Like I just jokingly said. Let's be relevant in visual ways, in the ways that we sing, in the ways that we dress, uh, you know, businessy ways, culturally, like our music, our styles and all that stuff. Not wrong. But how relevant do we have to get and how relevant do we have to be? Because a lot of these churches have stopped really kind of teaching God's word. This may sound like a hypercriticism, but uh, challenge me on it. I'm cool with that. Um, but teaching more of like biblical principle rather than biblical truth. Here's the point. When we chase cultural relevance over Christ-likeness, it's church suicide. The non-denominational relevant church movement, these churches that you see that look good, smell good, sound good, all that, it looks like they're exploding. But you know the truth? Statistically, they're not. You know what the turnover rate is in these churches? 80 to 90% in a year. That's crazy. I didn't know that. I was like, man, they must be killing it. No, 80 to 90% of the people who are in that church will leave. So the next year, if they're the same size or bigger, it's 80 to 90% new people. And they're chasing relevance. Cultural relevance, listen to this, 
over Christ-likeness is church suicide. Okay, it's kind of like teenagers. When we seek to be as relevant as we possibly can, it's like teenagers saying uh, that the music that they're listening to doesn't affect them. I just want to go, ha! You're crazy. We know that as adults. It affects you, right? The water you swim in will change you. You will be different. It affects us. But the, as funny as that is, I wonder how much the culture is affecting us here in the room right now. And the way that we view God's word, the way that we view God, the way that we view the church, the way that we view sexuality, the way that we view each other, the way that we view church discipline, the way that we view service, right? Is it affecting the way that we see and feel about all these things? Anybody got enough humility in the room to say yes? yes. It is. It's totally affecting the way that we see things. There's a fantastic book I recommend any and all of you to read. It's called The Disappearance of the Church by Mark Sayers. Fantastic. And he tracks culture and uh, looks at culture. And one of the things that he began to see is that in a post-Christian West, okay, by post-Christian meaning that there was a day and era where uh, Christianity was kind of the, uh, the Judeo-Christian ethic was kind of the like the ethic of the day. Doesn't mean that everybody's a Christian, but you could see its effects and its fingers in everything right? And now we're more in a post-Christian culture and a post-Christian West. And so what we, usually when we approach missiology to other cultures, especially indigenous cultures, what we do is we go and we try to bring the gospel and we want to share the gospel in a way that's relevant to them using images and stories and things like that. We're not looking, but we don't want to colonize them, right? We're not looking to try to make the Ecuadorians American Christians, we want them to fall in love with Christ, become Christians, but still stay Ecuadorian. We're not trying to colonize them. What happens when you're a culture in your Christian culture and you're trying to minister to a post-Christian culture, right? Here's what he says is actually happening. As we seek to try to be relevant and communicate the gospel in a way that makes sense to them, what we don't realize is in a post-Christian culture, they are seeking to colonize you. They are desperately seeking to colonize you. We've got this idea that if we be as relevant as we can, that it means that the younger generation is going to come flooding in. As the younger generation, let me tell you, we're not that attracted to you. We're not that attracted to your services. In fact, what's begun to happen is the more relevant you become, the more you look like us, look like the millennials, look like the Gen Xers and all that, we look at you and go, well, you're just like us. Except for you got, some, you got a little bit of boundaries. I don't want your boundaries. I've got the life I want over here. Like, why would I want to pursue what you got? That's silly. And so what's actually happened is the opposite thing has happened. Okay? All this is important and relevant. I want to showcase a couple things to you. Okay? First of all, that pursuing relevance is going to destroy us if we don't pursue Christ-likeness. When we promote that we should sound like, be like the world, we're setting ourselves up for Christian suicide, okay? And if cultural relevance and constantly seeking to be culturally relevant is uh, church suicide, then there's something called Gnosticism, and it is the noose, all right? I want you to understand relevance and what it does, but now I want to tell you about Gnosticism. You're like, man, I thought we were talking about sex sexuality. You will not understand what we're going to be talking about if you do not understand the water that you're swimming in when you leave this building, 
When I walked in here to come swim earlier this week, I walked in and I saw bumper sticker after bumper sticker telling me how I should view the world. From rainbow stickers that say pride, to Christian stickers, to I should go take a hike and live in the mountains, right? Like all kinds of things are trying to communicate to me the way I need to live because it's trying to colonize me, tell me what is the best way. Gnosticism, all right? Gnosticism has been around since Satan slithered his way onto the scene in Genesis chapter 3. It didn't receive its name as we know it now until the early church days with the Greeks. But what Gnosticism essentially is, is a gospel of self. Gnosticism is a gospel of self. It's an attempt to retain all the fruits of Christianity. You can have life and freedom and these joys and love. You're going to have all those things while maximizing the individual authority. Let me read to you some phrases that kind of sum up what Gnosticism is. First of all, the world of time, space, and matter are, that we live in right now are inferior. In other words, they're broken. You guys can all agree with that, right? We know the world's broken. We see that. The world is inferior because it has been created by an inferior and possibly evil God. What? What's one of the number one questions I hear from people all the time? Why do good things happen, or why do bad things happen to good people, right? It must mean that this God is evil. Why would he allow this to happen? He must be evil. Beyond our world and the inferior God, there is a sublime place to which we must progress. We can progress to the sublime place when we discover the divine spark within ourselves, the spirit within. Truth is found within the individual. We must look inside to find our true self. We can, under our own steam, progress to the sublime place through knowledge in the Greek word gnosis, knowledge, and we can escape the inferior world by finding the hidden pieces of knowledge in the world and in ourselves. Okay, that is a baseline view. And you're like, man, how? that doesn't seem really relevant to today. And maybe some of you are picking up on its relevance. But let me show you what uh, early church Gnosticism compared to today, what it is. It is a false gospel. And it is pervasive. And it is dangerous. And let me show you. In the ancient world, right, early church, the world is inferior. Uh, And today, it's your world is inferior. In the early church, matter is the problem. Today, the mundane is the problem, right? Like, what's the most dangerous thing in your life? Being bored? It's like the scariest thing in the whole world to people. The mundane is the problem. In the early church, escape from the body to, is, uh, to a perfect spirit. Today, it's turn your body into the perfect looking body. Uh, then it was look inward to find truth and the God within. And today, it's look inward to find the real you. Then it was escape the world to the perfect spiritual place. Today, it's escape the mundane to the amazing life. Then it was moved towards perfection through finding hidden spiritual knowledge. Today, it's moved towards perfect life through tips, tweaks, hacks, and the secret of success. In other words, self-create. Find out who you are and build up who you are. 
Then it was, you are a seeker pursuing spiritual truth and hidden knowledge. And today, you are a seeker pursuing fulfillment through incredible experiences and pleasure. Then it was to move past the inferior God to find a real God beyond. And today, it's to move past organized religion and find spirituality. My generation is extremely spiritual, but they hate God. Move towards the fulfillment by breaking past the barriers left by the inferior God. And today, move towards fulfillment by breaking past the barriers set by tradition, religion. Then you are a God. Today, it's all about you. It's a self-gospel that the center of the cosmos is Y-O-U. Everything's about you. And the older folks in this room, right, you're, you're thinking, yes, when I look at the news, when I look at the next generation, it's the me generation. They just talk about me, me, me all the time. Is that, when, who sings that song? Toby Keith? Want to talk about me? Want to talk about mine? Right? Okay. <laughs> A little dangerous. I don't like country, but for some reason I know that song. <laughs> the self-gospel is on sale all around us. And it comes to us in slogans like, love is love. Or my body, my right. I can do what I want. Or you do you. Or be true to yourself. Have you ever heard these? These are the slogans of the day. Hey, be true to yourself. You got to go to Journey and figure out who you are. Don't get a job. Get in your van and drive the North Pacific Northwest and find out who you are. Right? And have as many sexual experiences as you possibly can so you can find out what kind of gender and sex that you really are. Find out who you are. And once you find out who you are, tell everybody who you are and make them agree with you because it is about you. That's why it's so important that we take time to lay a base understanding of Gnosticism and the desire to be constantly relevant. When we're trying to be relevant to a, uh, a culture that believes that it's all about them, what's going to end up happening to the church? You're going to start thinking that Christianity is all about you. And let me tell you, it's all about God. In fact, it's upside down. And being all about God, God is, better being, uh, God is a lot better about being all about you than you are. And he is for you, not against you. And so Paul, he recognizes in the Corinthian church that they're allowing the slogans of the day to dictate the way that they view sex and sexuality. I think you are allowing the slogans of the day to dictate how you view the Bible and life and love and sex, and morality, and everything. What are the slogans of the day? One of the slogans then in the Corinthian church, the pre-America, was all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. Get out of the way. I can do whatever I want to do. Here's the truth. Friends, everyone in this room, you can do whatever you want. You really can. You know that. Now, some of those things will get you in jail. But elsewise, you've got to just do whatever you want. Do them. Seriously, nobody's holding you back. You can do whatever you want. But what did he say? But not everything is helpful. Not everything's wise. As a Christian, I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. Not everything's helpful. He says it again. All things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. But then what does he say next? But I will not be dominated by anything. And we're going to talk about this. Listen to me. Sin doesn't just want to be something that you, you dance with. It's something that wants to dominate you, enslave you. The next, the next uh, cultural uh, slogan he quotes is, food is meant for the stomach and stomach is meant for food. Anybody want to say amen to that? 
right? What are they actually saying? He's saying this. The Corinthians believed, well, just like my body is made to eat and, you know, food is made for my body to eat, so my sexual organs are made for sex, therefore, it's just like getting a McDonald's burger, like just have sex. It's part of life. Just go do it. You were built for it. It's a flippancy. And uh, Paul is going to fight against that. So here is what we're going to look at for the rest of our time. We're going to look at what it means to have a holy body, okay? A holy body. In Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, a lot of this is going to make sense. And uh, a lot of what I'm going to tell you is just, it's the track, it's the pathway. If you don't know Jesus, just listen to the ethic we're talking about. Obviously, you don't have to agree with me, okay? In Christ, your body and spirit are holy, distinct, and one, and both belong to God. Let me read it again, because you think that just sounds Christian and simple, but it's amazing how much you don't agree with it. In Christ, your body and spirit, both of them are holy, distinct, yet one, and both belong to God. So let's take a look at this. We're gonna look at the beginning, we're gonna look at the present, and we're gonna look at what God wants to do in the future. So in the beginning. In the beginning, what's the first book of the Bible? Test, go. Genesis, all right, awesome. Genesis, we get the true story of the goodness of creation. What does Gnosticism say? It says that, that all of creation is inferior and broken, therefore God must be broken. But what does Genesis say? It says that over six days, God creates the earth, the sky, the moon, the stars, the fish, the birds, and all the creatures that fill it, right? And what does he say after every single day? It is good. Nothing's wrong with it. Everything is good. Then comes the sixth day, and he takes the dust, and he forms a body, right? But it's just a body. And then what does he do with that body? He breathes the breath of life into it, and now it's created in the image of God. It's a body mixed with a spirit, and now it's two become one. And what do we call that? We call it good. It's a human. What do we call a body with no spirit? Kids, what do we call that? A zombie. What do we call spirit with no body? Kids, we call that a? A ghost. But what do we call a body and a spirit combined, created in the image of God? We call it a human. And God creates two humans. He creates one named Adam, and from him he creates one called Eve. And after he creates them for the first time in our Bible, he says what? It was what? Very good. Very good. Listen to me. This is the beginning of the gospel. God didn't screw up. It was very good. Your body is not evil. It is actually highly valuable. Your spirit is extremely valuable. It's what makes you species unique on earth because you're created in the image of God. The two become one. Let's go. So this idea that creation is corrupt and therefore God is corrupt is a lie. What God created was good and the intended purpose of each part of creation was nothing but good. The origin of corruption doesn't originate with God It originates with Satan. Gnosticism, with its pursuit of self over God, is Satan's idea. He and it are the ones that are corrupt, not God. 
his lie that God is trying to rip us off and that apart from God, we can find eternal transcendence and equality, God within, equality with God in ourselves is evil. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus came because he knew that we could not attain to equality with God. So he lowered himself to become like us. It's astounding. The origin of corruption and the breakdown of the human body begins with the lies of Satan. The origin of the lie of Gnosticism doesn't begin with the early church. It doesn't continue on with the millennial generation. It began with Satan in the garden. So the question is for you guys, listen, you have to choose, will you follow Jesus or will you follow Satan? That's the difference. And I'm not talking about a fork-tongued red guy. If you want to colonize people, you dress like them, you look like them, you convince them of good. Every great lie has enough truth to be believable. But he's a liar. So let's talk about the present. So when sin entered the world, with it came corruption of the world. Romans 8, 20 through 21 says this, for the creation was subjected to futility. In verse 21, he says it's under bondage to corruption. In other words, all of creation became subject or enslaved to sin. Does everybody agree with that? Things are not as they should be anymore, right? It's not good anymore. It's not good. And that's what he says. So that's why he says in verse 22 of chapter 8 of Romans, Paul says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Have you been feeling that? Like when you get up in the morning and your back's not quite right, right? or you got cancer, or like some of my friends, your elbow's not moving the way it's supposed to, or if somebody dies, it's like, man, it just, you groan, don't you, on the inside? You're like, man, it's not supposed to be this way. I do. I feel it. And so what does this mean for our present? Well, when sin enters the world through the one man, Adam, and then sin spreads to all men, because all men sin. Do, do you guys sin? Are you sinners? Okay, if you're not a believer, just hear for us right now. Everybody in this room who's a Christian, we're all going to admit we're sinners. Sin spread to all men. But sin doesn't just want to be something that you hang out with. It wants to enslave you. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? And that's why in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, but I won't be dominated by anything. What he's saying is this, listen, I have freedom to do certain things, but if I just chase my every whim, I'm going to be enslaved to it. If you go to the message, big fan of the message, the message Bible says it like this, just because something is, this is verse 12, just because something uh, is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could do, uh, get away with, I'd be a slave to my whims. So good. Paul knows that sin isn't just something that we do, it's something that wants to enslave us. I'm reading a book right now called Freedom Starts Today. It's a 90-day devotional where you, you're tackling your, your sins and your hurts and hang-ups. You're tackling them 24-hour uh, periods at a time. And it's been amazing. I'm on day 26. Holla! Loving it. Um, <laughs> Loving, loving, loving. One of the things he said in one of his lessons, the title of the lesson of the daily devotional was 12-year fuse, 12-year fuse. And what he says in there, John Elmore, the guy who writes it, 
he says that when he was younger, he remembered the church being at church and people telling him like, hey, sin leads to death, sin leads to death. Have you ever heard that? If you hadn't, I already just told you a minute ago. Sin leads to death. And he was like, okay, yeah, yeah, sin leads to death. But then he began to look around at all his friends and they're like, well, they're like smoking pot, drinking, having sex, and none of them have dropped dead lately. So I'm just going to kind of do that too. And so he chased it. And he said 12 years later, he was sitting in his room totally alone. Three doctors had told him if he continued to drink, he was going to die. And he had a shotgun in his mouth, ready to blow his brains out. He said, sin can have a long fuse. But there's a 100% chance you're going to die. You know why you're going to die? Because it's sin. And sin wants to enslave you. And it wants to destroy you. You, listen, you don't hate sin enough. Matter of fact, you love it. And you're loving something that only wants to kill you. And friends, as a guy who's only been a pastor for a few years, but who's been a human for 31, I've seen how sin can destroy families and marriages and the people that I love. It destroys. So how does this change the way that I view my body and how does this impact the way I view sex? How does this matter? Well, first you've got to understand that your body is important. It matters, all right? Put, put, put like your hand on your arms and be like, it's okay, this thing matters, it's good, right? Some of you are like, man, I don't feel so good today. It's good, it's important. Your body actually matters. That's what Paul says in verse 12, all things are lawful but not all things are helpful or wise. Verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So carefulness with your body means listening to what the Lord says you should do for your body. God cares for your body. The body matters. When, bo- when Jesus died and his body was crucified for us, what did God eventually do to his body? He raised it. If it didn't matter, why would he raise it? He would leave it in the ground. But what does it say it's going to happen with your body? You're going to be what? Raised with Christ. We're going to get there. We're still in the present. We're not in the future. So uh, buckle up. It's good. You've got to ask yourself, am I going to trust what God says to do with my body or am I going to follow what the world says to do with my body? But remember, you are not just a body. You are also a spirit. And the two are one. So the choices that you make with your body and the choices that you make spiritually have an impact on one another. They are not separate, right? Right? Anybody had a spiritually bad day because you ate the wrong food? Me. All the time. Right? Any of you start taking part in sin and then you begin to feel the effects physically? Me. And uh, that's why he says in verse 18, flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You're sinning against yourself. You're not valuing your own body. And he's, he's talking specifically about sex. When you become joined to another person, either before marriage or outside of your marriage or through images online, you're not valuing your body. You're sinning even against your own body. You're not valuing what God values. And when we make these choices, it has a direct impact on who we are physically and spiritually. Let me show you that this is true. A study was done with a thousand New Zealanders tracking their sexual behavior and its subsequent effect on uh, their psyche and substance abuse. They followed uh, these thousand people every two years until they were 15 years old. And then again at 18, 21, 26, and 32. And 96% of the people stuck with it 
all the way to age 32. Okay, so this is a pretty good test. At ages 21, 26, and 32, they were given individual assessments on their mental health status in the areas of anxiety, depression, and substance like cannabis and alcohol dependence. They were asked to report on the number of sex partners each, uh, at each interval as well, allowing the researchers to compute the number of partners per year. With this data in hand, the team was able to calculate the odds of a participant developing a psychological disorder while control, controlling for earlier mental health problems at each test occasion. What is our, before I go to the next part, what does culture say? You do you. Life is found at you doing you. Have as many sexual partners as you can. I believed it, I chased it, I followed it. But this is what the test said. The relationships that these people entered into says these relationships were found to be particularly likely to be impersonal. Lacking in the potential to provide emotional fulfillment as God designed it, is what I would put in there. People having a string of these relationships may turn to self-medication provided by alcohol and drugs. As the authors point out, drinking alcohol to cope with feelings of loneliness and despair. So as they sought to, to be with people, they found themselves more alone. I found that to be true. It never filled me up. It never showed me meaning in life. Actually, I felt more lonely, more depressed, and ended up hating myself more and more the more sexual relationships I entered into, the more pornography that I consumed. And I left more anxious, fearful. So I began to turn to cope with more and more things. Some of you I know as brothers and sisters in this room, you've been set free from that, and that's not your story anymore, but you know what I'm talking about, right? This is what the researchers said at the very end, and I appreciate this so much. They said this, the purpose of the research such as this is not to scold people for having multiple partners or add to guilt of those who already feel like they're violating their own moral standards. We're not trying to make them feel guilty, is what they said. Instead, it's to point out that from a strictly scientific standpoint, engaging in frequent sex with multiple partners does seem to be associated with risk. I love that. In a culture that boasts science, um, I love it. Because they're telling you something that God has been trying to and begging you to say, trust me, it will not go well for you. And I love you. And I don't want you to be lonely and in despair but Satan does. In verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. And these psychologists are saying, that's true. The science agrees it's not meant for it, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? This is the most radical and astounding thing in this passage. I would, it would take me weeks to explain it entirely. But this present reality, if you're a Christian in this room, listen. This is true in you right now. The God of the universe dwells within you bodily. He's in you right now. You can call me a kook all you want. Call me a kook, leave, go do something else. I believe it. The Spirit of God is with you right now. He's in you. And I think it's the greatest argument for why we should care for our body 
and listen to God when he talks about sexuality. Because what he says, verse 16, or do you not know that you are, when you are joined to a prostitute, you become one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. It's kind of like this. I, I've been, I worked at a, a youth camp for some years. I was a youth pastor for some years. And so I, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten to hear this. Like a kid will cuss at like youth camp. Sorry, my alarm's going off. Okay, hush. Uh, the kid will cuss at camp. It's inevitable, right? Like somebody says something and they cuss at camp or they cuss in a church building and then another kid will go, hey, you can't say that. We're in church. We're at a church camp. And it's like you laugh because you're like, that's so silly, right? It's so silly. Like what does this building have to do with anything? But you know what? As silly as we think that is, it doesn't compare to the seriousness of inviting in another soul to be mingled with ours while we share, share a spiritual home with God in ourselves. Do you understand that? You're asking God who dwells within you, you're inviting in this sexual experience with him and you. That's not what God designed you for. The body's not built for sexual morality. It's built for the Lord. Is sex good? Yeah, it is. Kids, I'm just letting you know it's amazing. I don't want to be the church that says, oh, it's evil and it's wrong and it's bad. No, it's great. Uh, but it's great like a fire is great in a fireplace and not in the middle of your living room. In the fireplace, it'll keep you warm. It'll heat up your marriage. It'll be wonderful. And it's just a piece of your house. In the middle of your living room, it'll burn your house down. It'll destroy you and your children and your kids and your friends and your family. I know it. I've tried to start a fire in the middle of the house and it's destroyed me and it's hurt my wife. Friends, I want to be honest and authentic with you. Just because I'm standing up here and some of you call me pastor doesn't mean that I'm sexually the purest person you've ever met in your life. Some reason kids think that I was like born of a virgin. I wasn't. That was just Jesus. And, but here's the thing is, I'm doing everything I can to practice what we're going to talk about at the end. But man, listen, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them as members of a prostitute? Never. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Guys, wage war against this lie. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin which leads to death, or obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves to righteousness. Hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't let it enslave you. It wants to kill you. Don't let it enslave you. Verses 19 20, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. But let me tell you one more thing that God wants to do with your body. You know why your body also matters? Not because in the beginning it was good and God intended it to be good. Not because right, God's going to resurrect your body. God's got a plan for the future that you are going to have a good, holy, and perfect body. And all the elder people said, praise God and amen. Okay? 
you young bucks to think it's just always going to stay the same? It doesn't. I'm 31 and stuff's not working right already. Okay? But here's what I'm saying. God has a plan for your body. We are not going to be these ethereal spirits floating around in some weird hemisphere like, like little ghosts. You will be joined to a heavenly body. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. Your body has a future. And so what does that mean for us? It means that we can have courage. It means that we can have courage. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, so we always are of good courage that we know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. But one day we get to put on a heavenly tent. Praise God. But it also means that we have a hope because God is one day going to redeem our bodies. You got that hope? I hope you do. So here's the last thing. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. How do I now do that? Let's talk practical. How do I glorify God with my body? Maybe I'm in sexual sin. Maybe you're looking at pornography. Maybe you are in an adulterous relationship. Maybe you're having sex outside of marriage. Or maybe you're believing the lie that it's okay and you can do what you want. Maybe you're, you're struggling with same-sex attraction. We have people in our body who struggle with same-sex attraction and still do. And we love them to death. But it's just as bad as my struggle with heterosexual attraction. It's no worse. Can we just go ahead and say that right now? Gays are not worse than you. We love them. Okay? So here's what we need to do. Number one, confess. Everybody say, confess. Confess Confess your sexual sin to God and to one another. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. You are not healed if you believe that it is okay. No, you're sick and you're enslaved to sin. And God wants to set you free from something that wants to kill you. You may say that I'm a bigot and I'm wrong. That's fine. But I want to die telling you the truth. And I love you. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who forsakes, who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. God is merciful. He'll love you. There's not a single sin that you've been a part of that God will not forgive you for. Amen. Praise God. First, you need to confess it, man. Confess it. Find a brother or sister in Christ you can tell your sin to. Number two, you need to devote daily. Okay? To grow in intimacy with God through scripture and prayer. Instead of becoming more intimate with others, you should seek first to be intimate with Christ. That may sound strange to you, but I'm just telling you, do it. Grow in intimacy with Jesus. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do not let the world and the false gospel of Gnosticism tell you that you and what you think is more important than everything in the world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Grow in intimacy with Christ. Number three, find community. Find community to help you out. Join other believers who can help you pursue becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. If you're in my community group, raise your hand. Where's my people? Where's my people? Got a few people? All right. My community group, they have loved me. They've heard me confess sin. They've heard what I'm devoting daily. They've held me accountable to it and they stood with me the whole way and I praise God for them and I love them. If you do not have believers around you, you do not have God's provision around you. You are not called to do it by yourself. Satan will destroy you if you try. He'll get you. Give yourself to community. And lastly, first was confessed. Second was devote daily. Third, find community. And lastly, remove. Say it with me, remove. Remove yourself from situations that are prone to lead you to wander. 
and remove those things in your life that are drawing you away from your love for Jesus. All right? If the number one place that you're looking at pornography is on this right here, uh, get rid of it. It's like struggling with smoking cigarettes and having an infinite pack of cigarettes in your pocket. And you're like, man, it's embarrassing to go to a dumb phone. It's not embarrassing. There's nothing more embarrassing than finally getting so deep in sexual sin that you're on a, you're on a list. Or your wife is leaving you. It's far better to just go ahead and embrace. Say, you know what? This is not who I want to be in Christ. I want to love Christ. Proverbs 23, 22.3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself but the simple go on and suffer for it. 400 pastors were interviewed, 400 pastors who fell in sec into sexual sin, removed from their position. All 400 were given a questionnaire and there was one question that 100%, all 400 answered the same way. You know what the question was? Did you think this would happen to you? You know what they answered? No, because they were fools. But the prudent sees danger and flees. James 1, 14 and 15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. My fishermen in the room, I don't like the fish, I think it's super boring. But it makes sense to me. You know what Satan likes to do? You know, fly fishermen, fly fishermen it's like, it's the purest, right? It's the way. Fly fishermen, man, it's amazing how good they can be at tying all these little tiny flies, right? And, and they tie these little tiny flies to get, you know, to just to look exactly like this little bug, right? And I've been around some fly fishermen, they're like, oh, did you see that bug? I think that was like a Spanish nymph or whatever. And they're like, they're like going in there and they're busting out this little tiny thing, right? Because they saw the truth. They pulled out a lie and they began to sling it your way, sling it your way, sling it your way. Say, hey, just bite it. You know what? Don't even let it touch the water. Catch this thing on the fly, bro. You want this. You want this until they can rip you out and destroy you. I'm telling you right now, myself and a lot of my friends, we've got scars on our lips from biting down on what sin has for us. And we will tell you, it is not worth it. It's a lie. And what God has for you sexually is so much more beautiful and better than you can ever imagine. And your culture is trying to lie to you. Stick to your guns. Now, let me tell you the final thing I wanted to tell you before we left. I don't want you to leave here, get on your Facebook, and blast the culture for its sexual promiscuity and all that stuff, right? Here's what you need to see. And they didn't see, and they were lying to themselves in Corinth. You know what the culture needs to see? You know why the millennials are leaving? Because they don't see the fruit of the Spirit in you. You know what they want? You know what will draw them? Seeing confession of sin, beautiful marriages, healthy sex, life. When they see life, they say, hold on a second, you have everything I've been going for, but I've been doing it this way. How did you get there? And you say, by following Jesus by following Christ. And they're like, well, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, that's fine. I love you, but this is the only way. And it's narrow. And I'm telling you right now, friends, don't widen that path. Let it be what it is. Follow Jesus. And I trust you, trust me, at the end, it will go well for you. Let's go.